Hi all, this is Mick Daniel from San Luis Valley Great Outdoors and we are on our fourth GoCast this week and we have our guest Clayton Davey working for the BLM. Yeah, good morning everybody. Like Mick said, my name is Clayton Davey. I am very fortunate to be able to work for the Bureau of Land Management as a park ranger doing all things recreation throughout the San Luis Valley. Hey everyone, this is Patrick Ortiz, SLV Great Outdoors Community Engagement Coordinator. And I'm Tierra Garena, and I'm the AmeriCorps VISTA and Development Coordinator for SLV Go. So Clayton, can you tell us about when you first got to the San Luis Valley? Um, I actually grew up in the valley, south of Sawatch on a cattle ranch. So I've been here my whole life. I did go away for college, and I did live in Denver and Fort Collins and Houston for a few years. So I was kind of in and out from 2000 to 2009. I've been back permanent since 2009. Holy moly, I, I guess I didn't know that you grew up in the valley. Can you tell us about that ranch a little bit? Yeah, you know, my family heritage actually goes back really far, and the ranch has been in the family for quite some time. Running cows, being up in the woods on that side of the family. The other side of the family, there were loggers, so we still have a pretty good chunk of private land out west of Sawatch up Jacks Creek area. My other side of the family on my mom's side were early pioneers into the Manassa area. So kind of all sides of my history and growing up and background all have long roots into the valley. Man, you're so you're like the first person we've gotten interviewed that have those kind of roots here. How do you feel like it affects your work now and your knowledge of the valley? I feel like it just gave me a, a really big leg up having, you know, to run cows out on some of the lands that I manage now and going out and getting wood or, you know, going out and fishing or hunting. Seems like I was always outside in one form or fashion. And, you know, all those things that I got to learn growing up, they very much play into how I get to operate at my job. You know, that more intimate relationship with the landscape kind of knowing little pockets and back roads and where the resources are. I feel like being from here and having that background has really given me a leg up for all the work I get to do now. What was the longest period of time that you were living outside of the valley and what made you want to come back? The longest consistent time I was away from the valley was almost two full years, a little over two years. And I was in Houston. If you've ever been to Houston, and you've been to the valley, pretty, pretty easy choice to be made. You know, but growing up, I, I didn't really always appreciate what I had being a kid and thinking the grass is always greener elsewhere. Getting out and trying some of that other grass kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Really showed me how much I did appreciate the valley. So I'm, I'm actually glad I left, even though the time away wasn't super pleasant, but I think it helped build me as a person. Like I said, now I appreciate it a lot more. I think if I would have stayed my whole life, I would be kind of just looking over the sangres. Like when I came back from Texas, I could remember just staring at the sangres and having this surreal feeling. You know, I try to not let it get lost on me anymore since I have kind of let that happen in the past. And I just try to appreciate every day. I hear you. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's funny, man. The Sangre de Cristos, they're just one of those mountain ranges that will completely stop you in your tracks every so often. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're quite spectacular. 
Yeah, we live up on a very small bump in the valley, you know, but pretty close to 360 degree views. And of everything, that's the one that catches my attention the most and just kind of stops me from whatever I'm doing in the evening. Yeah, you can't really beat those sunrises. So Clayton, we actually don't live very far from each other, right? You're on the north side of the Rio Grande? No, I'm on the south side, about four miles west of Umec. Okay, cool. So are you on like, I don't want to give away your location, but you're basically up along 160 then somewhere. Yeah, I'm east of Del Norte, right off of 160. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, I probably rode by your house like yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) If you've floated from Del Norte to Monty, you've definitely had the chance to go through my spectacular property. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I have not done that, but I I wouldn't mind doing that. (laughs) That'd be fun. I'm already a little bit jealous of you growing up in the San Luis Valley and ranching. Can you tell us about some of the highlight moments in the outdoors for you? You know, it it all kind of plays back into it. You know, like I said before, cutting wood and hunting and fishing. I didn't really realize how good I had it. And then in, in high school, I had the opportunity to work for a youth conservation program. It was called Youth Conservation Education Program. So we were married up at the Sawatch Forest Service office, and we were out doing trail work in the sangres, picking noxious weeds, rolling up fence. And that was kind of the light bulb moment of like, you know, this is what I'm doing anyways, being outside. And that gave me the light bulb of maybe I could do something like this and earn a decent living at it. So that youth program that I did freshman year of high school was definitely a big aha moment for me. Man, that's awesome. Patrick, you kind of had a similar experience with Youth Corps, huh? Yeah, it wasn't until my early 20s, though, with Southwest Conservation Corps out of Salida. That was really kind of the moment where I'm like, okay, I could do trail crew for the foreseeable future because it was just a great team building experience. Um, You get to be in these beautiful landscapes and you get to kind of challenge yourself and get out of your comfort zone, especially when things like weather and that sort of thing kind of take hold, you know, where you have an eight day hitch and every day, but two days you have rain in the Swatch range off of highway 150 near Boss Lake. That was one of those moments where you're like, okay, this sucks, like embrace the suck. But after you get through something like that, you realize, oh, you can take on a lot more than you think you can. I think that's a really good thing for young people to go through if, if they have a desire to work outdoors or in some sort of natural resource management agency. So yeah, it definitely was a life-changing experience for me too. I'm going to have to steal that quote from you there, Patrick. I'm going to have to start embracing the suck. yeah it's not all peaches and cream there's days that suck and i guess embracing that and growing with it being out there being cold and embracing it and becoming a better person having lived through that's big deal for sure it makes you appreciate the good times even more you know (laughs) yeah nothing like some perspective you mentioned cutting wood a couple of times are you still heating with wood clayton I am actually was able to put a new insert. I just had, you know, the fancy fireplace in my new home that you throw the wood in, it gets real bright and all the heat goes up the chimney. Right. <laughs> this last fall, I put in a uh, insert and I've been heating my whole house with that, saving a lot on propane. Good excuse to get back up in the woods. Good form of exercise. I was actually out yesterday trying to scout some wood. 
at SOV Go, we more and more have been having the conversation about traditional use, kind of outdoor recreation, and of course, cutting firewood is one of that. And I think a lot of people don't realize it's a big family event, going and cutting trees and like processing that lumber and getting it loaded up. We made like picnics out of it and had a chance to have a beer and be in the mountains. Do you find that that rings true for you and that wood's kind of a process for the family too? Totally. You know, like you said, growing up, it was eating turkey sandwiches and kind of staying out of the way while my dad did all the felling. And then, you know, getting in there and laying a hand and picking up all the wood and getting in the truck. And even though my kids are pretty young, you know, they're only four and two, it's still kind of the same thing. We go out and we pack a bunch of PBJs and snacks and try to go to a good spot close to a road where we're not running the saw. The kids and the wife and the dog, they go out and they, they stay away from the saw noise, make sure I'm not damaging their hearing. And they get a stretch and go on their little nature walk. I, I enjoy the work aspect of cutting wood. I enjoy felling trees. I get to play with the saw and get it all going and always make sure to make some smaller branch piles. And that way when we're loading up and we have those little nooks and crannies that need filled, that's when my two and four-year-old helpers really come in. Yeah, it was a family event growing up, and I'm uh, proud to keep that tradition going now. Yeah, you know, if you're listening and you haven't had the opportunity to heat with wood, it's something you should at least do for part of your life. It's a really incredible way to kind of attach yourself to a region, I think. And you get to keep warmer and spend less money. Yep. <laughs> exactly. My house is on average 8 to 10 degrees warmer than if I were running propane. It's just a much better heat, and there's multiple benefits. And probably some scouting for hunting, too, during that time. <laughs> you know, any excuse I could get for uh, scouting hunting, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'm excited to uh, take my girls into that endeavor as well. Got them the first fishing poles this last Christmas. Nice. We were out working on casting yesterday. And my four-year-old's already convinced that she's going to be hunting with me. She can't decide if she wants to hunt for ducks or rabbits first. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, she's my number one cheerleader, both of them. Yeah, anytime we eat elk or deer or anything like that, they just squeal with excitement. You know, I'm going to definitely try to foster the love that I have for uh, that activity and really hope they enjoy it with me as they grow up. That's awesome. So we're talking a little bit about family. You want to talk a little bit about what your roots are like? Yeah, like I mentioned before, the roots are really deep. We were actually out here before statehood, early pioneers. One of the Russell Lakes south of Swatch is named after the family, Davy Lake. Hard work and being outside, that was just the way things were. You know, I also mentioned some logging in the background. You know, we still have a lot of that old historical equipment. A lot of it's out at my aunt's house. Some of it's still up at our uh, family cabins west of Swatch there at Jack's Creek. And that's another cool thing that I'm just able to share that with my kids and show them where I came from and let them appreciate it as well. I'm fifth generation from the Valley, raising the sixth generation, trying to give them the same appreciation for my roots and make sure they know the story make sure that the story isn't lost. They appreciate it. And who knows, maybe one day there'll be a seventh generation being raised here in the Valley. That's a pretty rare story to hear for the North part of the Valley. You hear a lot about early settlers in the South end of the Valley, but yeah, to be a single family settling that long up North, you don't hear about those very often. So that's interesting. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a handful of families, but I mean, pretty much count them on one hand. Yeah, no doubt. 
if you could tell a story about the San Luis Valley to someone who's never been here before, what would that one story be? You know, that's kind of tough, you know, because there are so many cool things. If I was just going to tell one story about the valley, I'd probably have to tap into the weird and tell them about Snippy the horse. <laughs> For people who are unfamiliar with Snippy, it's actually the first animal mutilation associated with strange lights in the sky. It happened down in the South Valley in 1967. It was very interesting, you know, Horses die from being struck by lightning all the time and coyotes come in and kind of mess them up, you know, so that's nothing new. But uh, what was kind of weird about Snippy was that everything was super clean cut. Some would even say like surgical. There was no blood in the area. Like I said, you know, usually stuff gets scavenged on even several days after they noticed that Snippy had died an odd death. And actually, for the record, the Horses originally the name was Lady, but um, got the nickname Snippy because of all the weird stuff that happened to it there. All the snips that had to occur in order to be so surgical. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like all the organs were missing and a lot of the cuts almost seemed like they were done with a surgical laser kind of carterized back. And the bits of the horse that were left there, scavengers refused to touch it. So beyond like the clean cuts and the no blood and missing organs and lack of scavengers, apparently there was also a strong medicinal smell and, you know, some other odd things. Some vegetation nearby was flattened down. There had been reports from the caretaker of the horse, Harry King. His mother, she had seen strange objects fly over on the day of the horse disappearance. Some of the other folks said that they had seen stuff in the sky, but they didn't really want to elaborate too much. They even ended up bringing a Geiger counter out there and there was some radioactivity. So, I mean, what really happened to the horse? Who knows? They would still say it's one of those great unsolved mysteries of the valley. But I think that's really cool, a little lay to fame that the first animal mutilation that was associated with strange lights in the sky happened right here in our backyard. I think sharing that story just kind of opens up the whole wide world of weird. And there's been a lot of UFO sightings in the area, stories of men in black and whatnot. So I've always found that to be really interesting, uh, some old history and some weird history. I knew like the general story, but yeah, the way you told it was way more in depth than I had heard it previously. And it doesn't really stop there. It's, it's really interesting that there are still animal mutilations happening and they almost always seem to be associated with strange lights in the sky. If you pay attention, like every once in a while, it'll pop back up in the Valley Courier or one of our other small papers. Somebody, it's usually a super short thing, but definitely since I've been living in the Valley, I've seen a couple of those little news snippets pop up that there was another animal mutilation. Yeah, I haven't heard of anything recently, but I, I know they still occur. There's always kind of excuses made and not a lot of time or energy goes into sleuthing around to see what the cause was. But I've always found that interesting. I'm definitely a believer in the paranormal. I've never had a UFO sighting myself. I've heard lots of people encountering them near the sand dunes and along Highway 17 there. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe there's even, you know, like some Native American folklore of, you know, the ships traveling to the stars. So yeah, nothing new. Definitely been in folklore for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's intriguing. Have you read the books like The Mysterious Valley and Enter the Valley? 
I have not. I've read some other, you know, like Chariot of the Gods, a more generic extraterrestrial and whatnot. Maybe during this quarantine time, it'd be a good idea to get some new books. Yeah, man. So that guy lived in Crestone and his background was journalism, but he basically did like an investigative journalism. The story of Snippy the Horse is certainly in there, but he covers a ton of other stories that happened in the San Luis Valley for sure. I think there were three books actually, but I I know the first one is The Mysterious Valley. It's probably on Amazon. You should look it up. And I forget his name, but he was actually just on SLV Voices podcast, which is another podcast here in the San Luis Valley. Christopher O'Brien thanks his name. Yeah, Christopher O'Brien. Well, cool. Clayton, you're in a unique position in that you get to experience a lot of the federal BLM lands on the San Luis Valley. I'm sure you have your favorite personal places too. Can you tell us about one of your favorite places in the San Luis Valley? That's another tough one because there are so many cool little nooks and crannies that you could go get lost in and have some good solitude. I'm going to actually have to give you two spots. You know, I've really come to love some of my areas where I've gotten to know in just a handful of years and get up and do a lot of bow hunting in uh, the Rock Creek area. Find a lot of solace up there and I'm not really a religious man and, you know, I consider the woods my church. So getting out in the woods and doing that bow hunting and just being out by myself, I really found some cool places, self-discovery end of it. Another spot that's near and dear to my heart is my family property. And I've mentioned it a few times up west of Sawatch. We still have over 300 acres and a couple cabins on there. You know, it's a real special place. Good memories of family, getting everybody out together, having big picnics. You know, my grandma's ashes are spread there. My aunt's ashes are spread there. You know, some of the projects I worked on with my dad, you know, redoing the spring box. And anytime I'm in that area, I stop by and I dump my Nalgene of well water and I get my fresh out of the side of the hill water. Nice. (laughs) So yeah, Jack's Creek's always going to be near and dear to my heart and that family property. And then just it's all surrounded by BLM and Forest Service. You know, there's just memories kind of everywhere up all those drainages and on all those roads and I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's awesome. I mean having a place that you're attached to you and have those memories with man that's special. My family's farm was all the way out in Tennessee but you know those memories are always really vivid on that landscape. Yeah and it's great that I get to share them with my kids and take them out there and tell them the stories of you know when we redid the roof or when we developed the spring or share the story of my grandma you know she was telling me a story she told it to me you know my whole life of she was a kid of probably 10 years old and she was out and about and she found a ridiculously heavy rock probably an asteroid about the size of a fist and really heavy rock like I said it's probably an asteroid and she got in this gnarly rainstorm and she had to hide it so she could get back to her house quicker. Anytime I'm out and about, I'm always kind of thinking of those old stories and kind of looking for the, I said asteroid, I meant meteorite, you know, looking for the meteorite and passing those down to my kids and still out there just poking along, keeping the history going and still enjoying the same spots. That's awesome. I love those family stories that inspire exploration. We have a couple of those in my family too. Well, cool. You know, I know you're deep into your BLM job and that's probably your career path, but is there something else you're interested in doing in the future? Where are your kind of interests pushing you right now? You know, I really love the public land management. Love being here in the Valley. I don't think I could trade this for anything. Definitely want to finish up my career in some persuasion of public land management, BLM or 
forest or park. Yeah, I, I have no intentions on leaving. Eventually, I wouldn't mind being a manager or something like that and having a little more on the decision maker side of it. But right now, I work for great managers and they really took my opinion to heart. So I'm, I'm in a good spot. You know, I don't want to lose what I have trying to chase something that I might perceive as better, only to find out it's much worse. I have no intentions on leaving the Valley. I love the place. And like I said, I have the best job in the Valley. So I really have no intention on leaving or changing what I do. Work is such a big part of your life. But yeah, I want to make sure I enjoy my work and not just worry about making more money. And this is a great place to do that. We're glad to hear that you're planning on staying too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's wise, Clayton. I, being one of those people that left the Valley and, and now back, I tell you what, there seems like there are a few places in the world that offers as much to do outside and, you know, in many ways, like as much opportunity and kind of the outdoor public land sector as the San Luis Valley does. Yeah, I can't think of a better place to raise the kids. I mean, I could take them to the city and they could have, you know, swimming and ballet lessons or whatever, but I'd much rather them be out at Jack's Creek looking for a meteorite and drinking out of the spring I helped develop and cutting wood with me. I think that's going to turn them into a lot cooler people than all the city amenities. Absolutely. Let's see. So favorite non-outdoor pastime? Man, almost everything I like doing is outside. <laughs> I know. That's why we throw this one in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably have to say cooking. I enjoy growing a nice big garden, and I do enjoy hunting. So there's nothing more satisfying than making a meal completely of stuff that you've grown and harvested or went out and uh, hunted and harvested. It just seems like it tastes better. So yeah, I, re I really enjoy cooking. It can't always be straight out of the garden or elk meat straight out of the freezer. That is always my goal is to try to put up enough stuff to freeze a bunch of vegetables and process tomatoes into salsa and eat on it all year. That doesn't always happen. But anytime I make a meal and it's completely, like I said, either grown by me or harvested by me, I love just exploring with different flavors and um, yeah. That's awesome. It's funny how many people, it seems like that sentiment of growing food, harvesting food seems to run through a lot of people who are interested in being outside. I mean, to me, it goes right with woodcutting, right? It's kind of the reaping the awards of the work to get that better taste. Yeah, it's that full circle. It's, I don't know, maybe it's just that you're proud that you grew this really nice zucchini or that you were able to harvest an elk or get a duck or catch a trout. Yeah, I think just being the self-sustainable end of it adds to it as well. Being able to depend on yourself, especially in these crazy times when you go in and you see all the shelves are cleared out and talks of you know meat cutting plants having to close down for social distancing. It's nice to know you don't need those meat cutting plants or those big commercial Monsanto farms. You know, you could turn up a couple hundred square feet in your backyard and make the soil a little better and grow some really cool stuff, even though the climate's pretty tough here in the valley. You know, if you put the hard work in, you can still get some nice harvest. Like I said, I just love doing all that gardening and hunting. And then the crescendo is when you get to bring it inside and cook it up and share it with the ones you love. Yeah. And even one step beyond that would be investing in a local food system where you're getting crops and 
meat from locally grown and sourced vendors. You know, we can do what we can, like you're saying, growing our own food and harvesting our own game. And, you know, like I really like the Valley Roots Food Hub motto, three votes a day, saying, hey, I want to support my local economy as much as possible. Because, and especially now it's highlighted, like you're saying, Clayton, of stores having empty shelves for like essential items and having to just rely on the shipments to grocery stores for people to get what they need. So I think it's highlighting that local economies and local businesses are really super important to keep supporting, albeit with making sure that there are safety protocols put in place for people to go out and get those products as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, you don't always get your deer elk. And at times, you know, when I am having to purchase other meat, I am always looking for Gosar sausage or Soul Mountain Farm pork. So if you can always get your own, it is really super cool to be able to support your neighbors and, you know, get locally sourced quinoa and potatoes and all that stuff doesn't need to be shipped out. We could consume a lot of it here supporting your neighbor. That's something to be proud of too. Not everybody has the opportunity to be a sportsman and go out and get that wild game or have the spot to grow their garden. So I I couldn't agree more, Patrick. The next best thing is supporting your local economies where they are doing the best they can right in the backyard as your neighbor. Morgan and I, we had been playing around with the idea of having a garden this year. And we have a great garden space that was developed by the previous owners, but it had gone way south. (laughs) Um, Pulling the kosher weed out of it was an entire fall project. We're now like starting seeds and our uh, little bitty tiny greenhouse in the bathroom, you know, and beginning to think through this. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people in this COVID outbreak is that people are baking bread, people are thinking about their vegetable gardens. And so potentially, I think it could be this big movement back toward slow food, I guess which we've needed for a while. It's been in popular culture and conversation for a long time. I've even seen friends on Facebook in cities like talking about beginning to grow some of their fresh greens and stuff. So it's, it's real interesting to see. Yeah, it's unfortunate that it took a global pandemic to get everybody thinking that way. You know, if that's one of the positive things that could come out of all this, I'm down for that. Because like I said, it's brought a lot of joy to my life. And if people are doing it out of necessity, that's cool. They're still going to appreciate it a lot more. It's still going to taste better. They're still going to be proud of that. Yeah, you know, I think as a as a species maybe, or maybe as a culture only, I'm not sure. When things are easy, we almost have to remind ourselves to keep doing things the hard way sometime. Definitely. Um, yeah, it, it adds some value, I think, that sometimes we lose for sure. So this is our final question. We've already touched on some of this, but Clayton, have you had a supernatural experience in this big, mysterious valley? Now, if I say yes, you're not going to like report my mental health or anything, right? Nope. (laughs) 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 You know, I actually have, and it was really recent. It was just this past winter. It's like I mentioned before, I have two young kids. The oldest, the four-year-old, she's in her own big girl bed. And at times she likes to come get in in the big bed with mom and dad and snuggle in. So that's not an uncommon thing. So one night, probably two months ago, somewhere in there, I'm a bit of a night owl. So I was, you know, going to bed pretty late around midnight and I was still laying in bed trying to get some sleep and kind of heard some some pitter-pattering and some walking around. and, And I was pretty tired. So I was like, all right, come on, Helen, get in bed. And there's no response. 
Uh, I kind of hear some more pitter pattering and moving and, you know, I have a large dog, but you know, he's lying right next to me. And then, you know, hear, hear this movement. And the next thing you know, it's right on my wife's side of the bed. We just hear mom, Mommy. clear as day, both my wife and I. And we're like, all right, Helen, get in bed. And keep asking her to get in bed, nothing, nothing. So we flip on the light and there's nobody there. So, you know, instantly I hop up and go check the kids and they're both sound asleep in their beds. You know, I'm trying to piece it together and see what's going on. You know, look around with a phone or any sort of electronic that could have said that and hands down, just, I couldn't find anything. So I'm all kind of jacked up and not really wanting to sleep. And um, my wife is absolutely terrified. Rightfully so. I mean, it was on her side of the bed and it said mom. It didn't say dad. It wasn't on my side of the bed. So I understand why she was a little more uh, taken back than I was. But my wife refused to talk to me about it. So, you know, like I said, I'm all jazzed up, having a hard time sleeping. And the only way I could actually calm myself down was I was thinking, all right, so here's what's going to happen. Either Helen's going to come in to snuggle and my wife's going to like punch her in the face because she thinks oh, no. Or a, a, the ghost or spirit or whatever you want to call it is going to come back and my wife's going to think it's our daughter and she's going to start snuggling and hugging and holding this ghost. Oh, no. <laughs> so, that just like, I just started hysterically laughing. This <laughs> is just ridiculous. I mean, that's kind of how I made peace with it. And I was like, well, I guess if either of those things happen, it's going to be funny. <laughs> so I calmed myself down. And then a few days later, I was able to share with a, a coworker and kind of get off my back since my wife still didn't want to talk about it. So yeah, weird stuff happens. And uh, that's been my taste of it here in the Valley. And, you know, it wasn't super weird, but it was definitely weird in the moment. Yeah, that's intense. <laughs> Are you living in an older home or are you, did you build it or? This house was built in the early seventies. There is another house on the property that's either 1901 or 1903. Well, there you go. That's your problem right there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a river property and who knows if somebody drowned here a long time ago or what the history of the land is or where the weird factor comes in, if it's the property or the house or me or I'm not sure what. I was a believer beforehand. This definitely confirms my beliefs. I'm just glad it wasn't the super weird stuff like getting your sheets ripped off and demonic spinning heads and <laughs> me that too. Stuff. I, I could live with some mom whisperings. <laughs> <laughs> So this is unique because both in you, you and your wife heard it. Absolutely. Clear as day. Wow. Wow. So, you know, that adds validity to it too, you know. If it was just me, it's like, ah, oh, maybe I'm just tired. Maybe I was half asleep. But, you know, since it was both of us, definitely adds some validity. Confirms what I know I heard. Doesn't make it any less weird to me. That's super cool. I even like making peace with it. I don't know if I would have slept easily for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know which one I thought was funnier either. The, <laughs> my sweet four-year-old getting punched in the face or some lost soul getting a, a loving hug from my wife. Maybe that's all they needed. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe they just needed an invite. Shit, maybe they got in the bed and I didn't know it. <laughs> sound asleep and they were snuggling you and their soul's at peace now. <laughs> exactly, maybe that's all they needed was just an, an invite and a little bit of holding and uh, yeah. What I'm most curious about is will it happen again? <laughs> I'm not like hoping for another experience, but I, I'm open to it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I could facilitate it and keep it going any longer beyond, you know, one word and some pitter-pattering around, but uh, I'm not going to do any uh, dances or anything like that or try to do any seances and try to invite anything. By <laughs> I'll try to play it as cool as I can. Yeah, man, that's, that's a take-your-breath-away scary moment for sure. We'll have to have Clayton back for a Halloween episode. Hopefully there's nothing new to report by then. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, that wraps up our GoCast. Clayton, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and talk through your life in the San Luis Valley and your career and the supernatural. We really appreciate that, you being able to take the time to do this. And I hope that you're able to stay safe in this time. I know there's a lot of folks out on BLM land right now. Yeah, it's a little crazy. Yeah. Thanks to you guys for uh, doing these podcasts and staying engaged in these changing times. We're all having to pivot and adapt. And I think it's pretty cool that you guys are getting to know some of your partners a little better and staying super engaged, albeit through a computer or phone now. I really appreciate what SLV Go has done and continues to do for the Valley, especially with outdoor recreation in mind. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Clayton. Yeah, I mean, the, the BLM has obviously been one of our strongest partners throughout SLV Go's creation. And without y'all's partnership, we definitely wouldn't have the trails and open space available to people to get outside right now. And it's making a huge difference in our community, being able to have this space open and trails for people to recreate on. I believe anyway that it keeps us all healthy and mentally fresh and socially distanced. <laughs> well, Thank you, Clayton. We're going to sign off. 